0: I want to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, please. I'm going to ask some of our staff to come to the front. and um, I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, before we go any further, for you to come to Christ in salvation. Typically, we wait to the end of a service to have an invitation, but who knows that we have to the end of the service to make a decision? I've just in, felt impressed this morning that there may be somebody here, a man or woman, a young person, boy or girl. And God's been speaking to your heart. And there's a void and there's a vacuum inside of you. There's a sense of emptiness, a sense of frustration, there's fear, there's guilt, there are a thousand emotions. and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to find the greatest solution that you'll ever find, the greatest hope that you'll ever find in the love of God. You are not here by accident this morning. We're not doing this at this time by accident this morning. We didn't plan to do it, but we're doing it. Because somebody in this room this morning needs to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, or you need to settle it. You're not sure where you stand with Christ. You're not sure what would happen to you if you died today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot be good enough to get there. You have to come on the mercy and the grace of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed and people all over this room praying, I'm going to ask you, if you need to trust Christ this morning, would you just get up from where you are and come down to the front, find one of these men. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to try to single you out. We're not trying to make a spectacle of you. What we care about is where you stand in your relationship with Christ. And so if this morning you know that there's something missing in your life, and you need something more than what you've got. Mark's going to sing, and while he's singing, I'm going to ask you to just step out from where you are and just find one of these men at the front. Let them pray with you. Let them talk with you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on right now. We thank you for the salvation that is ours in Christ. We thank you that we don't have to live in fear or anxiety about what this life or the next holds. We thank you for your unconditional love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. We thank you for the grace that we've experienced pray that there will never be a day in the life of this church when we do not see lives changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and the message this morning is entitled, Attitude Check. We have some areas in which we have to check our attitude. The writer is uh, moving from doctrine to duty, which is the way uh, most of the New Testament epistles go. They move from uh, an uh, indicative to an imperative. Here's what you need to be doing with your life. From the doctrine and the revelation to our responsibility, and that's where he is now in chapter 13. It's almost as if the writer realizes he's done a lot of, long explanations and lengthy explanations about the sufficiency of Christ and the goodness of God and the new covenant, and now he goes into almost rapid-fire exhortations, sharp, short sentences that tell us how the all-sufficient Christ is supposed to look in our lives, what we are supposed to be like, how we are supposed to act, how we're supposed to respond to one another. And so he begins in verse 1, "'Let love of the brethren continue. "'Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, "'for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. "'Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them "'and those who are ill-treated, "'since you yourselves are also are in the body. "'Marriage is to be held in honor among all, "'and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will men do to me? Now he ends chapter 12 and verse 29 with an interesting statement. God is a consuming fire. It means that God purges and God purifies and God judges and God reveals and God enlightens. God does not let things go unchecked. And when God is a consuming fire, one of the things that he gets to through all the surface and the facades that we tend to give him is our attitudes. This is a very familiar reminder because in the first four of the Ten Commandments, it's all vertical. It's about our relationship with God. But in the last six, it's our ethical response to one another in light of our relationship to God. And so when the writer of Hebrews and other New Testament writers bring doctrine and duty, when they give us a revelation and then our response, What they're doing is what we've had ever since the day of the Ten Commandments. Here's how you should relate to God, and here's how you need to relate to one another. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is I need to check my attitude toward others. I need to check my attitude toward others. He's talking about us being a community of believers, a community of saints bound together. And so the first thing he says is we are to love one another. Let love of the brothers continue. Let it continue. Now, this word for love here is a word phileos. Philadelphia is the word that translates, we translate out of it. It means brotherly love. Let a brotherly, kind, affection, love and care for somebody else, cherishing someone continue. Now, this is a theme he's been running all through the letter in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Jesus calls us brothers. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, we are called holy brethren. In chapter 12 and verse 9, we are children of one Father. And so what he's doing here, he's giving us more than a little friendly advice. Hey, you ought to love each other. You know, we're real flippant about that in the family of God. You know, you ought to love each other. He's giving us an imperative of how we are to live. The church was being threatened, and the believers needed to come together and bond together with one another in a unity of love. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a chapter that we have unfortunately relegated to weddings, but it has a lot to do with the church and not a whole lot to do with a wedding ceremony. Now it's nice to read at a wedding, but what Paul is doing is writing a letter to Christians saying, This is how you're supposed to live among other Christians and in this world. 1 Corinthians 13, let me just read a few verses, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And here's where we get wiped out. If we haven't already been wiped out, this is where we'll get wiped out. Bears all things. There's just some things we don't want to bear. We live in a world that says, I'm not going to put up with that. Paul says, if you have God's kind of love, you bear all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And what is he telling us to do with this love in Hebrews? He's saying, "Let it continue, let it remain. Let it flow without interruption. Now in chapter six and verse 10, he tells us that that love already exists in Hebrews 6:10. In Hebrews 13:1, he says, Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. Folks, listen. The day a church stops loving is a day it stops being a church. Now, there ought to have been an amen there. The day a church stops loving, when we get bitter or angry or upset with one another and we can't love one another, I want to tell you something. We quit being like Christians and we quit being the church. And it doesn't matter what's happened to us, it's not provoked, it's not angry, it's not jealous, it does not act unbecomingly. And there are times when all of us get a little bent out of shape and we don't want to act that way. We don't want to do what God says, but God says if you're going to be a church, love one another. Believe the best about one another. I tell you, there are Christians that I have met that they will always believe the worst and never believe the best. We have bought the lie of the enemy that a person is guilty until proven innocent. And all it takes is one wacko to ruin another Christian's testimony. That's all it takes. And the church better get back to what we were told to do in the days of the New Testament. You beloved, you believe, you encourage, you exhort, you build up, and let's quit tearing down because that's not like Jesus. second thing he says is, be hospitable. Now, he's not just talking there to the ushers and greeters, although he is talking to the ushers and greeters. But he's saying be hospitable to who? To strangers. Now, if you will mark in your Bible or on your notes somewhere, the same word that is translated in be hospitable is the same word as the word love. It's brotherly love. Show brotherly love to strangers. Well, I don't know them. Well, they look different than me. I don't know, I don't like the way they dress. He didn't ask you your opinion. He just said, be hospitable to strangers. Treat people nice. Why? You may entertain angels unaware. Now, I don't know that I have, but I wonder if I've ever offended an angel because I ignored him. You see, you don't know who you're talking to and you don't know who you're around and you don't know who's watching. Be hospitable to strangers. That means for our security team, we're not standing around in huddles talking to each other. We're out in the parking lot greeting people as they come in, that they're loved and greeted before they ever get inside the doors. That means when they hit the doors, they're talked to. They're greeted. Say, well, I don't know who they are. Well, then talk to them and find out. There's a novel idea. Let's act like a family. Let's treat each other like family. Now, not like some of your families, but like a family's supposed to be. Be hospitable to one another. He could be that he's referring here to Genesis 18 and 19. You know, there were times in the Old Testament when an angel showed up, and they didn't even realize there was an angel there. I don't know if any angels ever show up at the door, but I know this. There are strangers that show up at our doors. We need to be hospitable to them. Romans 12, 13, Paul says, practice hospitality. In fact, he he talks about hospitality in Romans, in uh, First Timothy and Titus, and Peter refers to it in First Peter chapter four and verse 9. Deuteronomy 10:18 says this: "He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. Can I give you just a thought? Invest in people. It pays dividends. You know, some of you have wondered, you know, why are we doing these stupid rack attacks? Because they're random acts of kindness, which would fall under the category of be hospitable. Jesus said pure and undefiled religion is the way you treat children and orphans. Why do we do the things we do? Not just because we're trying to keep you busy. We're trying to learn a lifestyle of kindness a lifestyle of hospitality, a lifestyle of greeting. How many of you like to go to a restaurant where the hostess and the waitress treat you like you're an inconvenience? I mean, do you leave a big tip at a place like that? Do you just can't wait to go. I can't wait to go back and pay money to be treated rudely. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. People coming in the door of a church aren't paying any money for it, but they still deserve to be treated with kindness. They need to be loved unconditionally. They need to be accepted as who they are and what they are because they're not finished yet, neither are you and I. Be hospitable. Number three, remember the unfortunate. Now he talks there in verse three about prisoners. The writer is warning the church. Remember they were in a time when people were starting to be imprisoned and, and they were going to prison for their faith and to even visit somebody in prison who was there because of their faith would possibly mean that they would throw you in prison before you'd ever get out. Paul says, now, they're in bondage and you've got burdens, but in your burdens you're not in bondage yet, but remember those who are in bondage. Remember those who are hurting. Remember those who are sacrificing. Today the Christian church is the most persecuted it has ever been. There have been more martyrs in the last 100 years than there have been in the last 1,900 years. We have a persecuted church around the world, and I dare say very seldom do we in our prayer times ever pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the people who are in bondage. Pray for the people who do not have the freedoms that we have. Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Lord, when did we do that? How you treat other people is how you treat Jesus. Not only those in prison, but those who are mistreated, those who are less fortunate. And notice that what he's saying here is you need to have a mentality of pastoral care. And that wasn't a staff position, and it wasn't a ministry responsibility of called staff. That was a responsibility of the body. He's speaking to the church, not to the pastor. And he's saying to the church, you need to care for those who are less fortunate than you, who are going through tough times. We are not a privileged class that sits and looks down on people who are hurting. We are a people who have ourselves hurt at times, and somebody's come alongside us and helped us. We need to do the same for somebody else. Some people, all they want to do is get, 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 get. This is What's the church going to do for us? I want to tell you something, folks. The church typically, typically will do for you what you've done for other people, typically. We went to a funeral yesterday and there were a number of people from Sherwood. It was an hour away from here. There were a number of people from Sherwood there and I got in the car and I told Tom Pollock and Ross Powell who were riding with me, I said, you know, the reason people were there is because they've been there for people. And the reason people came is because they've ministered and now people are having an opportunity to minister to them. You know, folks, you don't get back what you don't give. If you want a church that cares for you, then you be a church member who cares for other people. But don't point fingers at somebody if you're not doing something and want to be all the way on the receiving end of it. Because this is a responsibility of the whole body to care for those who are suffering, to care for those who are hurting. Secondly, I need to check my attitude toward my spouse. The emphasis here is on loyalty. Marriage is the only delight of paradise that survived the fall. It has a divine origin, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. It has a divine order, we are to leave and to cleave. God ordained marriage in the garden. Jesus honored marriage in John chapter 2 at the first miracle at the wedding of Canaan. The Holy Spirit magnified marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 when he said, if you want to know what the relationship of Christ to his church is, it's like a marriage. Christ loves the church. There's a bridegroom and bride relationship. And when he talks about the marriage relationship here, it's more than a warning against adultery. He's talking to people who came out of a culture where there were multiple wives and you could sue for divorce and and you could commit adultery. It was a pagan society. Not a whole lot different from the society in which we live. And the thing that made the church unique was that the church honored marriage and husbands honored their wives and wives honored their husbands. And there was a mutual love and giving one to another of the husband and the wife. And they were monogamous. And they believed what God said in His Word, that sex belonged in the confines of marriage, not with whoever you wanted to do it with at the time. I watched a special this week on television about hookups where girls in college will sleep with somebody and they don't even expect a phone call the next day. It's just something you do. And they asked one girl, well, how do you deal with this? Well, you've got to get pretty loaded. How sad that we live in a society that is so watered down, something as sacred as marriage and sex, and said it's just something you do in the back seat of a car, in a dorm room, in a cheap motel, with anybody, anywhere, anytime. God says, don't do that. The church is not to be guilty of the sins that the world is guilty of. They don't know any better. We do. We know better. We know how we're supposed to act. David sinned and committed adultery and he committed murder. And when Nathan confronted him, he said to him, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. I'll tell you something, folks. Every time a church member walks out on their husband or wife, every time a church member sleeps with another person, you bring cause to the name of Christ to be blasphemed. It brings down the blood of Jesus into the mud and muck of our sorry sinfulness. And I will not back down just because it makes some of you uncomfortable that you think you can go anywhere, do anything, live any way, and come to church and sing songs and think, it's okay. It's not okay. God's Word says it's not okay. And uncontested divorce and irreconcilable differences and cheap divorces and homosexual marriages all under the Word of God say that is wrong. And we don't want to work it out because we want our way. Some of you had parents that stayed together even when it was tough for them to stay together. You know why? Because they believed what they said at an altar. If you're not going to live by what you said at an altar of a church in front of God, in front of witnesses, then don't get married in a church. Go to the justice of peace. But if you're going to believe it, then live it. And if you're going to live it, be an example that people can look at and say, how come your life is better than my life? By the way, of couples who spend time with God individually and together. The divorce rate is one out of every 587. Why is the divorce rate in the church one out of two, just like it is in the world? i tell you why. Because people in the church aren't spending time with God. So well, I can't love my wife, then you get on your knees and you ask God to give you a love for her. And you ask... Him to help you love her the way he loves you, unconditionally. say, so, well, she's done things, I don't care what she's done. Well, he's done, I don't care. I'm just telling you what the Word says. If you don't believe that, then you believe that the foundations are already destroyed and it doesn't matter how we live. Love your spouse. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. To defile the bed was a common expression of adultery. And today we've got preachers and deacons and ministers on television and church members who are living in immorality and bragging about it or living as if there are no consequences. Let me tell you what the consequences are fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no conditional clauses. If you have sex outside of marriage, if you have sex before marriage, if you have sex with someone other than your wife, if it is anything other than heterosexual sex, then God will judge it. We don't like that. We like to live like goats. You know what goats do? Goats have no feelings for anybody. And the problem with us is in the church, we've allowed a goat mentality to attack us. We've not held up the purity and the honor of marriage and the sanctity of the home. And no wonder, no wonder our teenagers are so messed up because they've seen mom and dad have little concern to work at their marriage. I would say to you, if you're a member of a denomination or a church, that does not exalt the sanctity of marriage. If you're a member of a denomination or a church that implies or teaches or believes in any way that homosexuality in marriage and homosexuality in the ministry is an appropriate and acceptable lifestyle, I would say to you on the authority of the Word of God written before you were ever born and all the specialists, were ever born. You better get out of that church now because if you don't, your children are going to go down a path toward hell because they will grow up under godless, immoral teaching and they will not hear the word of God and they will not know the truth and what your children and your grandchildren become will be repulsive to you. If a pastor doesn't believe what the Word of God says about the moral issues of this day, then that man is not a man of God. I don't care how many robes he wears, I don't care how many stoles he wears, I don't care how many times he can cross his heart and hope to die. That man will not stand before God as a clean vessel acceptable to God because he has dishonored the Word of God. Thirdly, I need to check my attitude toward my possessions. Verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. Question number one, do my possessions control me or do I control my possessions? Do my possessions control me or do I control my possessions? I hear people say, well, if I had more money, I'd do more for God. No, you wouldn't. You're doing for God exactly what you want to do for God. Well, if I had more of this, and when I get out of debt, I'll start obeying God, and, and, and when I make more money, I'll start to do No, because you see, it's not about your money. It's about your heart. And see, when we say, I can't obey God with my possessions, what we're saying is, I trust myself more than I do God. I trust my ability to take control of my life more than I trust God's ability to take control of my life and take possession of my life. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Money can make you comfortable, but I wanna tell you something, it won't make you happy. It won't make you happy. Money hasn't made me any happier now than it made me when I was making $100 a week. And 20% of that going out of taxes. Raises are not gonna make you happy. Profit sharing is not gonna make you happy. It may soothe you for a moment, but it ain't going to help you sleep. How do I view my possessions? He says the love of money is a snare in verse 9. He says it's the root of many problems in verse 10. It's a thorn that can cut you and hurt you in verse 10. Now, I've got to tell you one of the rumors that's going out around us. This is, you know, I can't make up the stuff I know. One of the rumors going around about us right now is that we require our members to turn in their 1040 form so we can check it against their giving record and see if they're actually tithing. Now, that's truth. That's what's, that's what's being said. One of them is we have a $2,500 initiation fee. <laughs> no, that's Stone Bridge, not Sherwood. One of them is, if you can't afford to give, then you can put it on your credit card. You know, some people think our prayer towers our ATM drive-through. <laughs> you know what that is, folks? Let me just divert here for a second. That's people that don't love God who got too much time on their hands. I've never arm-twisted anybody to give, but I tell you this. I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this church that give willingly because they love God, not because somebody told them they had to. And I know testimony after testimony of people that have learned the joy of giving and learning that it's more blessed to give than receive. And that God loves a cheerful giver, he will accept it from a grouch. But you know, it's not my money anyway. The only reason I have the ability to earn a living is because God gave it to me. He could change one cell in my brain right now and I would never be able to make a living again. He could put me in a condition where everything I've saved and squandered and hoped for and longed for and been obsessed with could be taken away in a moment. Do I control my possessions or do my possessions control me? Does God control Who controls them? Second question, am I content where I am? By the way, anything you can do to help kill those rumors would be helpful. You may want to call some of your church friends and other churches and help them understand it. Ah, I feel better having said that. Am I content where I am? The writer's not implying we shouldn't try to better ourselves. The negative is don't covet. The positive is be content, 2 Corinthians 6.10, having nothing and yet possessing everything, Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, he's not talking about Georgia, to be content, whatever condition I'm in, whatever place in life I'm in, to be content. Luke 12.15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Matthew 6.19, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Today's standard is, he who dies with the most toys wins. God's standard is, he who invests the most in the kingdom wins. You know, nothing I've bought for myself in this life is going to go to heaven with me. I can't take my golf clubs with me. I can't take my books with me. I can't take my pictures with me. It's not going to go to heaven. It's all going to be left and end up in an estate sale sold for pennies on the dollar but what I've invested in the kingdom has gone before me. Now, here's just a thought. Just a thought. What if? What if? Now, listen to me. Everybody look this way and just listen for just a second, okay? What if, by chance, there's a one in one millionth chance. What if? The mansion you get in glory is built with the materials that Jesus was able to buy with what you sent ahead. Some of you are going to be squatters <laughs> because you hadn't given him anything to work with. Just what if? You say, well, that's not in the Bible. I know it's not, but what if that's just one of the things God didn't tell us? You know, there's some things God didn't tell us. And what if, when you get to heaven, you look over and you got a little outhouse? You got to stand up. You think standing up in worship's hard? You got to stand up for 14 trillion years, and then you're gonna still be standing up. Say, well, Lord, what happened? All I got was enough for three two by fours and a tin roof. You figure it out. Am I content in whatever state I'm in? The word content describes a country in which there is no need for imports. Everything that country or that island needed to sustain life was within its borders. Folks, listen. There's nothing you need outside of Jesus Christ to sustain your life and to satisfy your soul. And whatever else you try to get... It won't last. It'll wear out. They'll make a new one. Whatever you bought will be outdated by the time you drive it off the lot or get it in your house. It'll be gone one day. It won't matter. You have a couch sitting out on the side of the road that you paid 20% interest on. Somebody come by and pick it up. Worn out. Spring's coming through it. Be grateful for it. You weren't satisfied the minute you got it. Why? Why? because stuff doesn't satisfy. say, well, how can I do that? Well, first of all, you stand on the promises. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You stand on the promises of God's word. God says, I'm going to take care of you. Then you stand on his person. I will never leave you. He didn't say the church. He didn't say uh, your inheritance. He said, I'm never going to leave you. And, And this word never, if you will circle it in your Bible, we're almost through. If you will circle it in your Bible, this word is no less than five times, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never will I forsake you. Never is a big word with God. God says, I will no, never, no, never, no, never will I, no, never will I, no, never will I forsake you. That's a big word with God. It just says, I'll never forsake you. And we kind of read over it. But God says, I want you to get this point. I want you to understand something. I'm going to do things for you that nobody else can do. There's a five-fold assurance in those no-nevers. God says, I will take care of you. So let me ask you today. How's your attitude toward others? How are you getting along with the body? So I got some people I just don't like. Well, then I tell you what, go home, take a hatchet and cut your little finger off. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, you're cutting yourself off from something that's valuable to you if you're not getting along with a member of the body. You may think you don't need them, but you do. I may think I'm self-sufficient. I may think I'm a rugged individualist and I don't need anybody, but the truth of the matter is I do. There's a whole movement going on today about the internet church where you don't even go to church anymore. You just worship on the internet. You know the only problem with that? You forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. doesn't cover a chat room. If you're only getting God at a distance and you're not rubbing shoulders with people that sharpen you, iron sharpens iron, and test you and stretch you and motivate you and confront you, then you're not being a contributing part of the body. How are you doing on your attitude with other people? Anybody you'd run into a pillar to keep from looking at? Any of you hiding behind any of those big plants out there in the atrium hoping somebody doesn't see you? Or you don't see somebody? Be hospitable. You know, it never hurts to be nice, folks. You don't even have to be saved to be nice. But saved people ought to be nice. How you doing with your spouse? You love them? You honor them? I'll tell you something, folks. You can say anything you want to about me, but you start messing with my family, and me and you and Jesus are going to have a talk. How you doing with your possessions? That's mine I got my check got a refund coming you know what I told God when we started building on the vision I said Lord anything extra I get that's yours I didn't know there was a refund coming I know where the refund's going it's going to Sherwood Baptist Church all $400 of it you know what I ought to write George Bush and thank him because he's just contributed to our building program, whether he knows it or not. How are you doing with your possessions? Do you love your stuff more than you love your Savior? Is there anything that you look at that you say, oh, I could never get rid of that? Then, my friend, it holds you. You don't hold it. Let's pray together. We're not going to give an invitation this morning. Not at this point in the service. But I simply want you to spend a few moments alone with God before we take our offering. And I want you to ask yourself some questions. How's my attitude? When I was in youth ministry we used to be in rooms sometimes and somebody would stand up and say attitude check and everybody would say, Praise the Lord. Well, I've been in some churches where if you said attitude check, the, the room would have been poisoned. How you doing? How's it going with you and God? How's it going with you and other church members? How's it going with you and strangers? Some of you about to start school. There are going to be some new kids at your school. You can either ignore them or you can treat them like Jesus would treat them and include them and welcome them. How are you doing with your spouse? I was talking to a dear friend last night, a lady who's going through some hard times. And this is what she said to me. She's now a widow. And she said, if I would only known how short the time was, there are more things I would have said. You don't know how short the time is or how long it is, but you have today. You've got this moment. How's your attitude toward your possessions? You kick and scream every time somebody talks about giving? You whine about somebody talking about sacrifice? Do you rejoice that you can send money out in ways that touch lives for all eternity. You know, my mom and dad have been dead for a number of years, but they're, what they gave is still bearing fruit. And it will until Jesus comes. So how are we doing this morning? Just in your own life, in every one of those areas, grade yourself from one to ten. One being, I'm not doing good at all, and ten being, I'm really doing good in this area. What needs to be different? What needs to change? Today's the day. You don't have to walk an aisle to do it this morning, you can just do it in your own heart, and then show it in your actions over the days ahead. Fathers, we come to the time of giving. We give you first ourselves because you gave to us. And Lord, we don't want to be ungrateful. We want to lay up our treasures in heaven. We want the giving of ourselves and of our substance to be pleasing to you. And so Lord, just like every other day, we have to die to ourselves because we're a living sacrifice and we tend to want to get off the altar. And so, Lord, help us to die to our hurts and our feelings and our opinions so that we might live in a right relationship with other people. Help us, Father, to honor others more than we honor ourselves. we love and we give and we care, not for what we'll get out of it, but because we enjoy doing it. So, Father, in the quietness of this moment, would you change our hearts and put them more and more in tune and in the direction of your Spirit so that we might be living examples of what Jesus Christ would look like if he were here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. men are taking the offering. Let me uh, ask you to get your worship folder out and just mention a couple of things to you if I could please. We have a great opportunity ahead of us. I spent two days uh, this week with John Maxwell and with his team. John Maxwell probably understands more about people working together as a team uh, than anybody I've ever met. And the team simulcast is very important for us, and uh, it is important for every Bible study leader, no matter what capacity, it's important for every usher and greeter, every choir member, orchestra member, for us to work together as a team. Uh, Because that's the way God wants us to work. That's the way the body works. When the body's not healthy, it's not functioning like a team. And So I want to encourage you to sign up. I know we've got a lot of time, and we are notorious in this church for waiting to the last minute. But uh, we are believing that God wants us to have enough people that we can't hold them in the, the chapel. We need at least five or 600 people from this church, in addition to everybody else that will be here, to be a part of this simulcast, because it's a vitally important simulcast. So I picked up John's new book on teamwork, which came out last week. and uh, What he has to say about teamwork and what he shared with us about that is so vitally important. If the church is going to function and be healthy, as a church needs to be. and So I want to encourage you to be a part uh, of that simulcast. Mark that day. Make it a priority. Uh, We've got a number of other things on the calendar and things that you'll hear about tonight that are going on, but I want to ask you to just pray as we continue to move forward. We're having to learn to be a little flexible and to be open to where God wants to take us. You know, if you're in a traditional church where you don't care whether God shows up or not, you just do the same old thing every week. And it becomes predictable and you check the list and you go home. And I hope that the one thing that characterizes this church is we're willing to move where God's going and do what God wants us to do, irregardless of what's on our agenda or what we had planned out. I messed Mark up this morning because I made him, he he was quick enough to do it. Fire special was supposed to be after the prayer. But it just, you know, that's okay. You know what? There's some churches where you couldn't do that. There'd be a deacon's meeting after it's over, finding out why it wasn't like it was in the worship folder. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church where God can just let people move in the direction they need to move in under his lordship and see him do some things in people's lives? Amen. If you're our guest today, I hope we've been hospitable. I hope you've had your hand shaken. I hope someone has spoken to you. If we have not, please give us another chance. Some of us needed to hear today, so we'll do better the next time. But let us make it very clear to you. We care about you. We care about what's going on in your life, what's going on in your family. And this staff and this membership stands ready to help you in any way we can, so that you can get in connection with God and find in Him the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ and His hope beyond the circumstances of our life. Let's stand together. We're gonna to do something we hadn't done in a while. Let's join hands across the aisle and sing Amazing Grace before we leave. See